This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Climate emergencies are becoming more common. This summer has seen wildfires, tropical storms, and heat waves. The events cause stress for people involved directly. That's obvious. They also cause stress for people observing them. This is known as climate anxiety. Anne Camozzi has some thoughts on climate anxiety. Hey, good morning, Anne. Good morning, Dave. So, Anne, How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I think, I think this is a really interesting and important topic. I gave a really brief definition of climate anxiety in the introduction, but how would you say it manifests in daily life? Well, I think uh, some people call it eco-anxiety. Um, people are calling it climate dread. I think um, the biggest concern is p- some people are feeling completely overwhelmed by um, all the natural disasters that we've been experiencing. It's been a summer of fires. We had hurricanes in Nova Scotia. Um, and and if you weren't actually in a wide-scale disaster, you were watching it. So it's it's really described as excessive worry, loss of sleep, depression, and actual anxiety disorder, um, which be- can manifest in like watching the news too much or not watching it at all. Mm. And the biggest concern that people have is that it's going to stop people from acting. It's, it's interesting. Time magazine did a, a survey in June, and I'm just going to read you here. They, they said that over a third of Americans were dreaming about climates and people were reporting like sadness, fear, extreme anxiety, like apocalyptic dreams and i think um like i get anxious about since we've been in the in the in fiona like what can i do because i can't reduce plastic because my wheelchair a lot of my medical devices you know use plastic catheters all that kind of stuff Mm. and i think those of us with disabilities it's even harder not to have that anxiety because we are two to four times more likely to be to die even in a natural disaster so it's a it's it's it can infect your whole life and it affects everybody differently. You know, and you touched on something really interesting there, which is almost the defeatist attitude that it can create. That you're so worried about both the possibility of a short-term climate disaster and the long-term prospects that you might just say, "Okay, forget recycling, forget compost, forget compostable coffee pods, forget recycle, reuse, durability, forget this. I'm too small. I can't solve this. I'm out." Yeah, I think that's a real concern of of um, of climate um, activists, and and um, you know, of course, if climate anxiety is is interfering with your important activities like eating and sleeping and daily living, you you need to get professional help. Yes, of course, absolutely. So so okay, beyond of course the professional side of it, like that's obviously a very important cog if you're going through uh, a true anxiety disorder. What are some of the things someone can do? To to mitigate or address their own climate anxiety? Well, there are things you can do, and this isn't just me saying this. This is what psychologists are saying, and they're saying limit the news that you read, especially before you go to sleep. Mm. Um, Read and learn what you can do to help. Um, Become engaged in community. Join climate groups. Attend climate events. Connect with others who are concerned. Mindfulness and stress management. I do sitting Qigong in my wheelchair, 
and uh, breathing exercises, and, and, and that kind of helps with other medical things too. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later, but contemplating and connecting with nature, um, more, most importantly, supporting climate action and justice. And that means like voting for candidates at all levels of government who are advocating, volunteer. I can't clean a stream in my power wheelchair, but I can write a fundraising grant for that. Mm. And so climate justice is really important concept for people to get their heads around because climate change affects poor and disadvantaged communities more than others. And we're, we with disabilities are in that category. You know, I think I talked about it last time I was here about the heat dome in, in BC mm-hmm. affecting people with disabilities more. And it does affect us more. So I think climate justice is a really important part of it. Um, There was an interesting article in the Walrus, a Canadian magazine, a couple of weeks ago, and they were uh, quoting Joel Jurgis, who is one of the leading climate scientists um, in, in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And she says, like, it's irreversible if we don't act, but it puts an onus on writers, creators, that's, you know, and broadcasters and curators, anybody who's in the public eye, to um, tell people it's not too late to stabilize things. And she says we have to continue to translate the science into a language of urgency. Mm. And she says, how are you going to show up? to this moment. I I really liked that concept. And like writer and environmentalist Bill McGibbon, I really read his stuff and like him. And he says, stop being an individual, join something. The key, I think, is to transform our anxiety into something working towards a better future. And personally, I think that is connected to a creative practice and limiting our carbon footprint. Okay, go a little bit deeper on that one because the carbon footprint and our own individual responsibility does matter. I know sometimes the onus might seem a little bit unfair as individuals to say we have to lower our own carbon footprint to uh, offset uh, what gargantuan oil companies are doing <laughs> uh, through through the rest of the world. But what are some uh, tips or advice in regards to uh, lowering our carbon footprints in our daily habits? Well, what you see there up on the screen is part of a, parts of a, a carbon footprint test. There are many online. They're free. You can go on, and, and what you do is you actually calculate what your carbon footprint is. And, and that these kinds of questions ask, like, how do you heat your home? Um, how often do you travel on an airplane? How much meat do you eat? Are you recycling? Are you attempting to cut down on consumerism by used clothing? Some of these things are harder for us to do with disabilities. Um, you know, it's hard for me to get out shopping. It's much easier for me to order on Amazon. But I'm trying to look at that and say, that's coming on an airplane. So if shopping locally, you know, all of these things are really important. I, I think that's such a big topic. I'd like to come back sometime and just do a whole segment mm. on how we can, you know, limit our carbon footprint. I would love that because it's something that I uh, grapple with on the regular end. You, you see a lot of things that are built for convenience that oftentimes can be really useful for a person with a disability. I'm going to circle back to the notion of a coffee pod for myself, who's legally blind. I don't want to deal with a 
coffee machine that has 77 million buttons. So I like just being able to put one thing in, press one button and get a cup of coffee. But I objectively know even the compostable ones are dreadful for the environment, like dreadful in terms of a consumerism point of view. I'm also someone who runs very hot. So I use a lot of central air conditioning, which means that's a huge level of energy consumption. So I understand like that internal conflict about saying, what can I do, yeah. but what compromises am I willing to make as well? Another example, you mentioned plastic. There's a lot of uh, items you might buy at the grocery store, like the uh, pre-chopped fruits or vegetables uh, that come in a plastic container. And people will sometimes judge you for saying, oh, you're buying that thing. It comes in its own wrapper. Why are you buying something in plastic? Well, maybe somebody has a dexterity disability and they can't actually chop that food, but they want to eat fruits and vegetables, right? It's it, there's, there's a big back and forth and, a, and quite a spectrum to discuss. Yeah, I think so. And and let's do it at a later date. Let's let, like let's just talk specifically about that. You know, I think with you know, climate anxiety though, um we have to look at broader things and and you know, some of the things that I do, for example, I I, I don't watch any news before I go to sleep. That's that's a fast rule now, especially since Fiona. I definitely don't watch hurricane updates. I don't watch hurricanes in other places. I now know what it's like. I don't need to relive it. Um, and I try and forgive myself for what I can't do. You're talking about coffee pods. I, For me, it's like the amount of plastic waste with um, what I use, medical waste and rubber gloves and things like that. And I try and offset that and look at creative ways of, of um, you know, changing my lifestyle. But we'll we'll talk about that more um, when I come back and we'll do a like a, let's talk, take 10 minutes and just do that. Okay, well, let's let's wrap up on this thought, though, because you mentioned that you're an artist and sometimes you're going to use your art as a creative extension to deal with your own climate anxiety. How does that manifest for you? Well, I think that's something I really wanted to share today. And like my art is behind me and I'm wearing a scarf that I painted. For me, color is an important part of getting rid of anxiety. But, you know, people say to me all the time, well, you're an artist. That's good for you because you can do that. Well, you know, um, everybody's an artist. And you can see here that, you know, I paint a lot of flowers. I, I think that um, I like to paint colorful things and how people are connected. And I think that's an important part of understanding climate anxiety is connecting with other people and definitely connecting with nature. I, I, I just have a small little place and a small little patio, but I feed, I feed hummingbirds and I have a little a nest box for tree swallows. And, and, you know, if, 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 if you have low vision, you can uh, have a garden, a small, even a pot of rosemary, something that is, you know, engages your other senses of smell and touch. Um, and really, we're all artists. I, I've actually run workshops on this. Like, it's not just about being an artist and painting these irises of I've done behind me, but musicians, acting, writing, um, all of these things are creativity. And, and I, I actively use journaling as well, um, just to journal out my thoughts. And that's a good way of getting rid of anxiety. Um, 
It's interesting. I was part of a chronic pain study in Halifax, and what they were looking at was, were people who were more creative, more resilient in managing their chronic pain? And chronic pain is something that I deal with on an everyday basis, and I was part of that study, and it came out that those of us who engage in a creative practice are actually more resilient at dealing with uh, medical issues and pain, but I would say also with dealing with climate anxiety. And and I think I think that's a really really important concept um, to, to to understand. And thank you for this. I appreciate the time you took today. It's a very interesting topic. Sorry, my headset's deciding to fall off. Yes, I really do. And I really encourage everybody to explore your creative self. Take a look at what gives you joy. Something part mm. of something that you do that makes you feel joyful. I do wheelchair dancing, for example. Nobody's looking at me. I'm all by myself <laughs> in my apartment, but I'm dancing with my chair. So, um, yeah, have a great day, everybody. And get out a pen and just doodle. Okay, I like this. Look at the proactive solutions here from Ann Camozzi. Yeah. That's Ann Camozzi, disability rights activist in Nova Scotia. You can follow Ann's work at nncamozzi.com. That's A-N-N-E-C-A-M-O-Z-Z-I.com. nncamozzi.com. Coming up in 60 seconds, Alex Smythe will have the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. Canada's main stock index closed at its lowest point since last October, due in part to the effects of U.S. job openings data that indicated continued strength in the economy and the potential need for interest rates to go higher. Toronto's TSX index dropped 156 points to close at 19,020. In New York, the Dow Jones average tumbled 430 points, wiping out the last of its gains for the year so far. And the Nasdaq plunged 248 points, or 1.9%. In Tokyo, this morning, the Nikkei index tumbled 2.3%, and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 72.96 cents US. A network-wide system failure has been resolved at CN Rail that caused chaos for afternoon rush hour commuters yesterday in the greater Toronto area. The outage halted all GO trains, as well as the rail link between Toronto's Union Station and Pearson Airport. CN Rail blamed an internet connectivity and electronic data interchange issue. From the Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Gotta love the logic of the stock market. There was positive economic news, therefore the stock market tumbled because that might result in higher interest rates. What kind of world do we live in? Let's go from the world of money before I get upset to the world of weather. Alex Smythe, it's not necessarily uh, good news on the weather front either. Yeah, Dave, if you're frustrated with how the economic side works, uh, just wait to be frustrated with how the weather is <laughs> seemingly working. Uh, yesterday was all about the abnormal heat in Ontario. Well, uh, that's soon going to be changed today. We're focusing in on the polar vortex that is up north that's expected to dip its way down south this weekend. So a cold mass in the Arctic will make its way down to the prairies by Friday. Saskatchewan and Manitoba will see highs in the single digits. So Saskatoon, which will have a high expected around 8 degrees, will be slightly warmer than Regina, which is only expecting to be up to 6 degrees on Friday. 
But Brandon, Manitoba is going to be even colder at three degrees while Regina is hovering around six degrees as well. So it's going to be very cold out in the prairies very quickly. I don't think but people that, in the prairies would call that very cold. No, but just, to, just as a reflection of how quickly it's changing yeah, now. Yeah, that's true. For Ontario, it's uh, we've enjoyed this warm weather. Well, that's going to change because that polar vortex is going to be moving its way eastward. And it's going to be hitting us right around the Thanksgiving weekend. So Moosonee was experiencing extremely unusual above average temperatures this earlier this week. That's going to be replaced by the uh, seasonal to below seasonal cold and a chance of snow, Dave. Yeah, snow going from 19 plus above uh, seasonal to, oh, here's a chance of snow for you on the weekend. Uh, so needless to say, this yo-yo effect when it comes to weather, it's going to be taking place all over Quebec, Ontario. So be ready for that volatile transition. Yeah, time. yeah. I'm, I'm headed to Montreal this weekend for a 40th birthday party, and I'm packing all kinds of stuff because when I get there on Friday night, it's going to be 17 degrees. When I leave on Monday morning, apparently it's going to be about three degrees. So uh, we got we got a plan. We got a plan for some uh, movement on the old uh, thermometer and thermostat over there. Thank you very much, Alex. That's Alex Smythe with the weather report coming up after the break. Things are getting a bit spooky in Winnipeg. Derek Lackey. Describe some festivity to get you into the Halloween spirit. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.